Welcome to the four-part podcast series highlighting innovative circular solutions led by women changemakers transforming the fashion industry for people and planet. Bluecast by Tencel is a podcast series created on Carved in Blue by the Tencel Denim team, sharing in-depth talks to the denim community at large and the Fashion Impact Fund, a charitable fund supporting women changemakers to accelerate the fashion industry's transition to an ecosystem that values planet and people. We've collaborated on this special edition four-part podcast series called Circular Solutionist to raise the awareness of women's involvement in driving solutions systems change to reduce, reuse, and recycle. As we face an industry evolution to keep garments and materials in circulation, we can reduce the 50 million tons of textile and apparel waste going to landfill every year. Each week for the month of October, Circular Solutionists will spotlight the innovative solutions led by women social changemakers advocating for a new paradigm in the fashion sector, one that leads towards a fair and resilient world. Circular Solutionists will feature women in the fashion and denim industry who are making an impact and forging a new path. Those who are connecting their life's work to planet, people, and prosperity and giving us hope towards a positive change. Thank you, Tricia. I'm Kerry Vanigan, Executive Director of the Fashion Impact Fund. This series centers the voices and amplifies the leadership of women trailblazing circular solutions. Join us to hear from these women that reimagine the future, advance effective system change, and drive collaborative sector engagement. We look forward to this series of discussions on Bluecast by Tencel to highlight women in the denim industry or supporting the efforts. No effort is too small. It is building each season, each collection, each connection to make progress. Each are circular solutionists. With 50 million tons of textile and apparel waste discarded annually, how will we ever make sense of it all? How will we know which products can be used again? One company currently offering a unique technological solution for the sorting of textile waste is that it is accurately identified by fiber composition, enabling textile to textile recycling and fostering circular fashion is sortile. Constanza Gomez is co-founder and CEO of Sortile. She is a Columbia MBA and a CFA with over seven years of experience in the financial industry, where she specialized in researching retail companies in Latin America. In August of 2021, she co-founded Sortile, a company that is accelerating the adoption of textile recycling by building scalable technology solutions. Sortile provides sorting technology and data analytic tools for textile collectors, and is currently working with five partners in the U.S., including Goodwill. Sortile was recently declared winner of the startup competition at GreenBiz's Circularity 22, the largest circular economy conference in the U.S., and has won over $100,000 in grants. Welcome, Costanza. How are you? Hi, Tricia. I'm great. Thank you. How are you? Good. Good to see you again. We first met at an Accelerating Circularity event in the spring. Circular Cities Week, and it was wonderful to see your technology in action during that demo that you had. But tell us more about your work, how you started your business. Sure. So um, 
As you mentioned, I used to specialize in researching retailers in Latin America, and I'm originally from Chile, and Chile actually has a significant issue with textile waste in particular uh, in the Atacama Desert, and that's kind of where I became extremely passionate about this issue. Um, and so uh, I did all this research and, and you know, ended up going to business school, met um, my first co-founder, Agustina, and she was adamant that, you know, you can't stop at research. You need to, you need to do something about it. Um, and we kept hearing, you know, fiber to fiber recycling is the future, but so much of the core infrastructure that would feed into fiber to fiber recycling has not been developed. And so uh, we spoke with uh, over a hundred companies in the space and kept hearing, you know, sorting by fiber composition is incredibly difficult. Um, if it's done today, it's done manually. People reading clothing tags, it's difficult to scale. And even, even when you do read clothing tags, over 30% of items don't have clothing tags. There's mistakes in clothing tags and, and the accuracy is just not there to create quality um, recycled fibers, which is what we need if we want this to actually scale. And so we decided to start Sortal to, uh, you know, tackle this issue. Um, I'm a, a computer science uh, major as well. So, so we started developing machine learning algorithms that we could apply. And that's how we got started, um, you know, trying to build something that could, uh, you know, work with the current process of textile collectors today um, that was easy to implement, easy to use, um, and that could yield the result that we need. I didn't realize it's 30% of garments that you can't, I mean, how many times it gets washed out or, you know, tags in garments now, they have scissors where it's like, cut it out. That's not going to help us at all in circularity. And that's where a technology like yours is, is really wonderful. Um, and I know from visits that I've had to collecting and sorting facilities, you're absolutely right. So much of it is still manual. Um, we will not be able to keep up with the pace of that, of the waste that we're going to be able to collect if we don't have the right systems in place. Um, and you first started kind of tackling this around the circular economy um, probably what, within the past uh, five, ten years. What, what's been that journey? Yeah, I mean, on a, on a you know, professional level, I would probably say in the last, you know, two to three years when I began my, my MBA, and that's when I really started, you know, actively working in the space. On a more personal level, um, it started way beyond that. Um, you know, between, you know, I haven't bought really new clothes. I, I mostly buy either vintage or thrift for many, many years now. Um, all around kind of circularity. So I just make a lot of personal decisions with um, that in mind and have been for a very long time. That's great. What are some of the challenges you face as an entrepreneur in circularity? I mean, it was wonderful to see you on stage at Green Biz. Um, I did vote for you. Uh, and, uh, you know, to have that recognition. But, you know, how, how, what are the changes and, and the challenges that you see as an entrepreneur? Oh, God, there's so many. Um, I want to say, particularly in the space that we're in, you know, dealing with something that people generally consider waste. Um, I think one of the things we face a lot is why do we have to pay for a premium for recycled fibers? 
when you get your raw materials for free because people donate them. Like people don't understand that there's so much work that needs to be done from even getting these materials to actually being able to produce something and put it back into the circular economy. And so changing the mentality a little bit around, you know, you're getting free raw materials. This is just waste um, to, you know, considering this an actual resource and, you know, the work that goes underneath it, I think is a shift that's, that's challenging and to even discuss with, you know, anyone, um, you know, just in, 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 in everyday life. Uh, so many people don't even understand why this is important. Exactly. No, it's so true. I mean, people don't think about when they put their discarded clothes in one of the donation bins, how many hands then have to touch it until it can get its next life. Um, And, you know, it's not so easy as when we say, let's just throw it away and see what happens. And and then there's that feel good. Okay, I've donated it. I've done what I should as a responsible citizen. But the amount of work that it takes, because it's much easier to just keep taking new materials and putting them back through. Um, And I think this is where we have to work as an industry in redefining what value is um, and and working that in. And there's no better time than now because of all the changes that are happening and the consumer awareness. Um, And as a female entrepreneur, and your co-founder is also female and a new mom too, uh, there's, there's definitely even more challenges and you see a lot of females in circularity. Um, why do you, why do you see this? Why do you think there's more women taking on leadership roles in circularity? Oh, that's a tough question. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Both of us are female, both of us are moms. I think that in itself gives us a little bit of perspective in the sense of we deeply care about, you know, what's happening to this world and how, like, what are we going to do for our kids and and the next generation? And I think that in itself gives us that perspective of wanting to do something that will have a positive impact on the lives of, of our kids going forward. Um, But obviously that's, you know, more personal experience. I can't say that that's the same for everyone. Right. Um, but I, I completely agree. There's so many incredible women in circularity in, in the particular space that, that we work with, you know, in, in sustainable fashion. There's so many. And even going back to that event where we met, I remember when that event first started, I think there were like 20 or 30 people. And I think there was only one men in the audience there. Um, and so it's kind of shocking to see I'm not 100% sure why it happens. I can tell you from a personal perspective, from, from my point of view and Agustina's, it's a deep passion to, to leave a better world for, for our kids and our families. Um, but I don't know if that's the reason for, for why it happens um, you know, on a general basis, but I completely agree that it does. Yeah, that event and even um, at Greenbiz, there was a, definitely a higher percentage of, of females. But I think you're right. It's about that giving back. It's passing it forward to the next generation or, you know, I've even seen so much of how the waste um, and and the concepts of how the fashion industry has worked and where we need to make those changes. Um, And, you know, the other area that that we try to incorporate as much as possible into what we're doing and circularity is around the UN Sustainable Development Goals. 
and this framework, uh, and I'm also a part of the UN Conscious Fashion and Lifestyle Network, uh, how are you bringing in the SDGs to what you do and which SDGs in particular? Yeah, I think we're kind of like in the intersection of SDGs 12 and 13. So responsible consumption and production and then climate action. Um, from something that we directly do, um, we currently use the uh, EPA's war model to actually measure the greenhouse gas emissions that we reduce by diverting textiles from landfills. And that's like a direct effect of what Sortel is doing by enabling the, the use of recycled uh, or of textile waste for feedstock for um, fiber to fiber recyclers. But on the other end, since this later becomes basically a raw material for the fashion industry, we're also in some sense completely embedded into that responsible consumption and production, driving circularity so that these textiles go not only from you know, waste to you know, a downcycling, but actually get inserted back into um, fashion as well. And so I think we really are in that intersection of those, of those two uh, UN sustainability goals. Yeah, I think within everything, it's that systemic change and that you're not doing something good, but then it's harming another area. So I see that a lot, the connection between SDG 12, responsible consumption and production, and SDG 13, climate action. Um, and, and usually also I, I see too, then people are also bringing in transparency and traceability, which is around SDG 12. Um, and within that to SDG 17, which is the collaboration, um, because circularity can only happen uh, if we're all working together. But completely this, agree. Yeah. Yeah. Collaboration is huge and completely agree with you there. I mean, there's so many parts to this puzzle that it's impossible that one person, one company is actually by themselves able to, to, to tackle them all. Um, so completely agree that collaboration is huge. For sure. And with Sortile, then, um, explain a little bit about how that technology works. When when I saw it in, in our office and we did the demo, it was, you know, putting it there. In a larger scale, when you're putting it into a sorting facility, what does that look like? Can you explain more? Sure. Um, so we've done, we've done some significant changes since you saw that demo in May. Um, but I will say the way that it currently works at a larger facility is they'll usually have their basically lines where they um, check for quality. And so they have people that actually check the quality of every item because the first call of most textile collectors is a grading for reuse. So if it's, you know, super high quality reuse, medium and lower, and then depending on that quality, the markets it goes to. So at that point, when that person is making the call, the normal process would say it fits into the one of the categories of reuse. If it does not, then it gets discarded. Um, the companies that we work for uh, work with, they have one of our sortile devices. It's it kind of clicks onto their sorting tables. So when they make that call, okay, it would normally be discarded. They just place it uh, on it and they'll get the identification. It's cotton, it's polyester, it fits the specifications of Recycler X. And they'll have um, the corresponding bins to, um, to classify them. Um, so it kind of happens in the natural um, part or the natural process that they're currently working with. That's great. And so your business, since you're getting started, 
you're getting funding. What's your plan? Where do you see yourself in five years? Yeah, um, we really want to scale the sorting of, of textiles. We want to become basically the main certificator for um, fiber to fiber recyclers. It is so important to get quality feedstock um, for them. Their specifications are hard to meet. And we want to help ex basically expand that so that every sorter and collector is able to meet those specifications. That changes two important things. Not only that you'll probably be able to make higher quality recycled fibers because you're going to have a higher quality feedstock, but also it's going to change the incentives for collectors and sorters. Collectors and sorters today do not have an incentive to sell to fiber to fiber recyclers because manually sorting, it's just too expensive. It does not make economic sense. If you're able to simplify that process, if you're able to simplify the sales to fiber to fiber recyclers, it means they have a new incentive to actually go out and look for those materials. So increase collection rates that have been stuck in the U.S. at 15% for over a decade. And so changing those incentives is like, our key goal right now. We want to change those incentives so you can scale collections. And, and that's how you truly make an impact in reducing um, textiles from landfills. And within this scaling and what we need to do and to increase those um, take back rates, not even talking about what actually gets used, right? Because that's even lower at around 1%. Correct. What's your take on policy? How do you feel? I mean, policy is picking up in Europe, but in the US, where do you see that and and how can that impact your business? I mean, policy is huge. Um, it's so important, as you mentioned, we're keeping a close eye on what's gonna come out um, in Europe in the next couple of months, both in terms of EPR, as well as minimum recycle content laws that will pop up. Um, we've done extensive research uh, on the EPR laws in France and how they've been implemented and how they've been used to kind of increase collection rates um, and reduce textiles from landfills. Um, I will say, just as a, as a statement of, of uh, you know, difference as already, because Europe already has higher policies than the U.S. in this area, collection rates in Europe are already double those of the U.S. And that largely can be attributed to policy. And so I think policy plays a huge part on how, on how things change. I will say, even if policy only gets passed in Europe and it, the U.S. does lag, which seems to be the case, retailers and large retailers today are global enterprises. And so even if they only pass in Europe, the chance of that kind of, and those effects eventually trickling down to the U.S., even if the policy doesn't explicitly exist here, will probably happen and will be extremely beneficial for the industry. Totally agree. It, the, the global retailers and brands will pick up on that because they have to follow the highest standard. Um, it's just where do we kind of create the level playing field as we continue to scale? Um, these are all the, the challenges, but again, really exciting times for this evolution to happen. And, you know, what do you, what would you say then to your daughter or son um, in 10 years to your child around the changes that you want to see in circularity? Yeah, I think so many things, I feel like we're at an exciting time because I feel like things are actually starting to happen, whether it's, you know, policy in Europe actually being discussed and the effects that those could have and like global supply chains. Fiber to fiber recycling is actually starting to scale, whether, you know, it's, you know, companies like 
uh, lensing. Uh, a lot of the startups um, in fiber to fiber recycling, Warn Again, uh, Cirque, Evernew, starting to get legitimate funding to scale. And so it seems like those puzzle pieces that we've been trying to fit for so long are actually starting to kind of fit together. And so I see a future where recycled fibers is actually a material that is used at scale, um, where design actually changes so that you don't have these five-wave blends that are impossible to recycle and, and you know, circularity is taking as a serious consideration when apparel is being designed. And then systems that just kind of integrate both the waste collection and taking as part of the supply chain for retail apparel. And so all those changes, I think, are actually starting to happen. And it's an exciting time to, to be in the industry. And great for you and for growth for your business. So really uh, look forward to seeing where you will be in 10 years from now. So we're reaching the end of our discussion. We usually have a final fast fire five questions. Um, with many of our listeners coming from the denim community and looking at denim, which is, you know, a garment that can be passed along from generation to generation and vintage garments are even almost more regarded. What is the oldest gene in your wardrobe? Um, yeah, I, I actually had to think about this. Um, but I think, uh, I think the oldest jeans I have, and they don't even fit anymore. Um, when I was a teenager, I was obsessed with a pair of jeans that I had that have a red stripe going down one leg. And um, I've tried, I've really tried to donate them so many times because they no longer fit. I had them, I had them since I was like 13 or 14. But there's so much, I would wear those jeans every day. Like there's so much nostalgia attached to them, but I just can't. <laughs> the red so stripe, what brand was it? Oh, it's uh, it's not any like big brand. It's a small retailer out in Chile. Um, but I just I fell in love with those jeans as a teenager. Would I thought it was so cool, and I just have so many memories attached to them that I just haven't been able to donate them. And so they're perpetually in my closet. I don't fit anymore. I'm no longer thirteen. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, but so many emotions. And I think that happens with apparel so much. You know, you have the memories of when you wore them and, and you become attached. Definitely, for sure. And maybe you'll pass them down to your kids. And I always find that jeans mean more to me, too, because I know the designers behind them. So that, that adds another level. I can't get rid of this because I know the designer who put all of the effort into making sure it was perfect. Yeah. Now you're you're back and forth, and you mentioned you know you're you're from South America. You're here in the U.S., so you travel around a lot. What is your favorite city to visit? Yeah, so I'm going to say two, um, only because I'm living in New York right now, and I do miss home. So I will say Santiago for one. My entire family lives there. I miss them so much. Um, so I will say that as as one. I can't not say it. My second one is also in Chile. It's a small town called Puerto Natales in the very south of Chile in Patagonia. Um, I'm a big, big backpacker and hiker, um, and it's one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. Um, and I feel like it just changes your energy. Um, so I would say those two. Well, I'll have to check that out. It does sound amazing. And what is the most used app on your phone? Which one's always open? 
I mean, apart from messaging apps, um, I would say Kindle. Um, I read Kindle. a Great. lot. Really? That's excellent. Yeah. Great that you find the time to do that. And what person alive or deceased would you want to go to dinner with? Um, I would say probably Shailene Flanagan. Uh, she's a marathoner. Um, I'm a big runner. Uh, and she's a huge inspiration in that space for me. Wonderful. What does carved in blue mean to you? I think carved in blue is a little bit of a peek into the future that I want. Um, you know, a future where, you know, fashion and apparel is beautiful, but designed with, you know, sustainable materials and circularity in mind, and that you could eventually, you know, expand this into, into other, you know, materials as well. Excellent. Well, Constanza, wonderful to always see you um, and, and have this chance to talk. I look forward to big things coming from what you're doing um, and the change that you're making for circularity. If people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way? Um, they can always message me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty responsive. Um, I think that's probably the best way. Excellent. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. Thank you to our listeners. If you enjoyed this conversation, please check out our other episodes. Subscribe to Bluecast, like, and review us. To discover more of our stories, you can follow our blog, carvedinblue.com, or feel free to reach out to us directly at denim at lensing.com. Thank you.